0: CoreLogic has created the future of client service with OneHome. We've designed OneHome to be an always-there digital extension of you. OneHome interacts with clients to discern what's really important to them in a home. OneHome now becomes your shared collaboration portal, where you go way beyond just beds, baths, and square footage to truly find what your clients need. Visit OneHome.com to see why there's no place like OneHome. Hi, this is Brad Inman, and welcome back to another season of Inman Reconnect. In this series, we hear from the top leaders in real estate at Inman Connect Now as they discuss the solutions, the strategies, and the plans to help you navigate your business through this incredible year. Enjoy.
1: Hey, everyone. Hey, Inman. Nice to be here again. I'm Mike DelPretti. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Always love speaking at Inman, and it's my pleasure to do this uh, virtually this time around. So last time I was at Inman was back in January, and you know that's when we could kind of all get together. And I was up on stage surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. Uh, now I'm working from my home office surrounded by my family, and they know probably more than they need to know about iBuyers and real estate portals to be healthy for them. But here we are. So, last time I was on stage, I had this quote The industry's moving very slowly, but it's never moved this fast. And again, this was back in January before all of this happened. And you can see, like, this quote has never been more true than it is now. Um, things are moving super fast in the industry. Um, I've, uh, over the past couple months, I've been tracking data and looking at what's going on. And I think there's, there's, there's a lot of activity, right? There's a lot of activity. A lot of stuff is changing, not only in the disruptors, the fast movers, but just the real estate market in general, and not just nationally, but also internationally. So the, the biggest thing kind of occupying my time and what I was spending a lot of time on here is looking at what's going on. Like what effects is the pandemic having, has had, is having, and will have on the real estate market all over the world? And there's this interesting dip, you know? So I, I did a webinar a little while back and I held up this homemade graph and, and that really illustrates it, right? There's, there's a dip in new listing volumes uh, and, and real estate transactions from the pandemic. <clears throat> there's a drop, you know, we're at the bottom and that can be quite significant. And then there's a recovery. So that, that theme is kind of what, I, what I'm focusing on now and, and what I wanna share some data on that I've been looking at and, and wanna tell everybody here. So what I, when I think about this right now, the most important way that I think about it is supply and demand. If I think about what's going on in the market, what's happened, what's going on right now, and what's going to happen, it's all about supply and demand. And the way that I think about that now is new listings and pending sales. New listings is supply, pending sales is demand, because those are changing over time. I think those are those are both high intent lead indicators of activity in in the U.S. real estate market and internationally as well. Um, the fact that they're high intent is really important. Um, you can look at website traffic or leads, but those are low intent. Those are real top of the funnel. Uh, think about it another way. We've all been stuck in our houses for 10 weeks we're tired of where we are we're sick and tired of our house we're moving somewhere else like everybody's stir crazy like yeah you're gonna go online you're gonna start looking around so i i don't know that that's the best lead indicator for serious home purchasers so that's why i'm focused on new listings pending sales so to start out um we'll start out big internationally new listings uh you can see here new listing volumes kind of year over year 2020 compared to 2019 um across a number of countries they all took a big hit you know around mid-march when the pandemic was declared. Uh, took a big hit. Some countries, like the UK and Italy, were affected the most. So new listing volumes in those markets plummeted by 70 to 90%. Uh, other countries that had, they adopted more of an um, intelligent lockdown, like Sweden and the Netherlands, uh, Germany, they, they really didn't see an impact at all. Um, new listing volumes have been pretty, pretty steady. Uh, they're, they're up in the Netherlands. They're, they're just starting to go down now in Sweden. Uh, but we see the US is kind of right in the middle there you know, new listing volumes down about 40% or so. Uh, but most of the uh, they're recovering, right, there's an uptick there. So if we dig into the US, this is again, new listing, US listing uh, volumes, uh, kind of this year compared to last year, and you see that same dip, right, A significant dip in, in March and April, kind of throughout May, we see that recovery, and now things are going back up. So in terms of, you know, the, the, um, the supply side of the equation, the listings are coming back after a quite a significant dip. And then if we dive into the US, uh, so this is a chart I have up on my website. It's interactive, you guys can play with this, put in any cities, any markets you want. The data is coming over from Redfin. Um, but this chart is showing a number of US markets. It's looking at the new listing volumes in those markets uh, year over year. So what the comparison is. And it starts from when they saw their first decline. So some cities were affected early, some a little bit later. But you see the same general trend, the same general flow here, right? Um, uh, a drop in those new listings over time, various, um, various recoveries in the different markets. And now some of them, like uh, some markets like San Fran and Denver are kind of popping above where they were last year. There's this surge of new listings. You see Philadelphia recovering very strong. You see some of the Texas markets like Austin and Houston, never really going too low, um, but, but recovering nicely. Uh, And and you see Los Angeles kind of finally after, you know, 50, 60, 70 days of a drop, um, getting back up to parity from last year. So that's what's happening in the U.S. Um, If we look at a couple specific markets, we'll start with King County in Washington, one of my favorites to look at. Um, That's the greater Seattle area. That's where the pandemic first hit the U.S. You can see that there's quite a significant drop, right? In 2020, new listing volumes just plummeted down. Um, they've been down for quite a while, especially compared to last year, that grind, 2019. And they're starting to recover. Uh, but still, as, as of a couple of weeks ago, down 40% compared to last year. That's still a really significant decline after you know, six, seven weeks at the bottom. Another market I love to look at is Austin and Texas. Uh, a lot of those Texas markets weren't affected as, uh, as significantly as other US markets. If you looked at just the blue line, you might think nothing's changed. You know, It looks kind of the same, it's relatively steady. Um, but when you compare it to last year, the gray line, you do see the decline. So Austin kind of roll there, starting to see an uptick. But again, you know, just a week or two ago, it's still down 18%. So it's still down, um, it's coming up, but it is, it is improving. And then New York, New York City, um, you know, probably the hardest hit market in the U.S. So you can see a significant drop in new listing volumes in March um, and really just staying at the bottom. Uh, those those listing volumes down 76 percent um, the last that last week I have, but at worst kind of down 80 to 90 percent. So it's such a huge drop like New York City's been absolutely hammered in a lot of ways. And if you look at new list, it's probably one of the worst, the hardest hit in the U.S. I was um i was looking around the other day and i saw this quote from a, a real estate brokerage you know new york's the biggest market saying real estate's bouncing back strong right now and we're thriving in this environment um it stood out to me and i included it here because i don't know that i would use the word bouncing back strong and thriving if this is thriving or if this is bouncing back strong i'd, I'd hate to know what you know challenging or a disaster looks like so Let's not, let's not get ahead of our skis. Like this is um, as opposed to kind of what you hear in the media. So the next part of the equation to look at is demand, right? If we're looking at supply and demand, now we're going to look at demand. And I think the best proxy for, for buyer demand is pending sales. Uh, it's not people looking at a website. It's not people filling out a form. Those are all low intent. I want high intent buyer demand. And that's people going out, looking at houses, making an offer and having that offer accepted. I think that's the best we have. And that's what I'm looking at. So again, a couple more graphs I've, um, I've thrown up on my website, you can look at this for any market, but this shows pending sales in 2020. So from the 1st of January up till nearly the end of May uh, for a bunch of markets. And you can see kind of what you'd expect, right? This big dip in March and April, and then starting to recover. I'd like to call your attention to a couple different markets here that I'll, that I'll pull out. Uh, the first are the ones that are recovering strongly. So Houston, Chicago, Tampa, those all stand out to me, right? They've all reached pending sale levels higher than before the um, pre-pandemic right They've all recovered well. You can look at a couple other markets like LA Philadelphia and San Francisco they're all recovering but they're you know they're not at pre-pandemic levels. they're, they're still still subdued they're still low. So sales are improving you know in, in many markets they're improving uh, but they're, they haven't recovered right and some markets are recovering much faster and, and much quicker than others. Now, that's just looking at pending sales over time. Um, What we also need to do is look at it year over year because we do have the spring uptick in housing activity. So just looking at it on a week-to-week basis doesn't provide a complete picture of the market and what's happening. So if you're out there, you're looking for data, there's tons of data, there's too much data. Um, Look for as many data points as you can. Look for what's happening on a a weekly basis, but also compare it to last year because that's gonna give you a really important perspective. So that's what this next chart does right? This is showing pending sales compared to last year. And you see, again, what you'd expect, this big, big, big drop in March, some markets recovering, some markets not recovering. Again, calling out a a couple highlights here, you can see Austin and Tampa recovered very strong. So not only are they up on a weekly basis, but compared to last year, they're at a higher level than they were. uh, They're at a higher level today than they were last year, up 10 to 20% other markets like San Fran and Philly they're recovering absolutely recovering and and doing well there but they're still down year on year they're still down compared to where they should be or where they were last so i think this is super interesting now supply and demand let's pull it all together you know why is this important so let's let's look at both of this and for me the ultimate question you know and there's a lot of people out there looking at different things and and for me what what's kind of keeping me interested and engaged in this is thinking about the rates of increase and looking at, is supply increasing faster than demand? Or is demand increasing faster than supply? Because if you have both of those things, that's a healthy marketplace, right? There's buyers and sellers, and they're going to interact. Um, but if you're missing one, that's an unhealthy marketplace. It's not operating efficiently. There's not enough buyers, or there's not enough sellers. And you know, I'm sure everybody knows markets like that, where the average time on market is three days. As soon as a house is listed, it's gobbled up. Or a house sits on the market for a year. That's that's what we're talking about. And and for me, you know, looking for the next three, six, nine, twelve months, that's what I'm paying attention to. So I've I've plotted some of this stuff out. This is something I'm I'm still actively working on. Um, none of it's really published yet. But this is looking at the supply and demand, kind of the ratio of new listings to pending sales over time to see what's happening. Is more new listings coming to market, or is there more pending sales? And um, If you're kind of above this line, that's where demand outstrips supply and below it, there's more supply than there is demand. So that blue line is kind of the one to one ratio. That means for every new listing coming to market, there's one pending sale uh, in the same period of time. And you can see, you know, markets like Seattle, uh, Austin, super hot, right? There's a lot of demand and there's not enough supply. Other markets like New York and San Fran, uh, a bit of a different story. You know, buyers are still not back.
0: It's never been a more exciting or challenging time to be a real estate agent. This is why Core Logic has created the future of client service with One Home. While other companies design technology solutions to automate the transaction and remove the agent from that relationship, Core Logic does the opposite. One Home now becomes your shared collaboration portal as you and your clients search for that perfect home. Visit OneHome.com to see why there's no place Like one home.
1: And again, if you if you kind of plot this out um, as as I've done, you can see some markets where supply is rising faster than demand, and other markets where demand is rising faster than supply. This is benchmarked against some numbers from last year, so I'm trying to get a complete picture here. Um, It is small. I don't really care if you can see it or not. That's not the point. The the point here is supply and demand are changing. They're changing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and it's totally different on every market. So if you see national numbers, it just doesn't matter. I mean, that's national. But if you're in a particular market and you want to know what's going to happen over the next year, you got to be looking at supply and demand and kind of see what happens over time. So to to sum up all these market stats, right, if you've been kind of dozing off and you're just paying attention now, here's the key takeaways. Um, New listings, you know, seller demand, the proxy for seller demand, they're recovering in most markets, but they're still down, you know, many markets 10 to 30 percent from last year. Uh, Pending sales, that proxy for buyer demand that's recovering in most markets as well uh, but it's still down 20 to 40% from last year and then lastly that supply and demand growth that ma- that uh, that metric there that's mixed it really depends on the market so that's a key metric to watch going forward so in, in speaking of going forward let's talk about the recovery and and what this might look like so the image that i have in my mind is a is a river that's been dammed all right. So if you if you have a river, you know there's a flow of water, a steady state of flow of water, and that's kind of those are real estate transactions. <clears throat> if you dam it, which is what the pandemic did and the associated lockdowns, um, that flow stops, and you see that in those graphs, right? When the graphs drop to the bottom, that's what's happening. There's stopping. There's there's no new listings. There's no pending sales. There's no transactions. So that that dam, you know, builds up all that water for one to two months, and now what's happened is the dam has been released. Um, in, many mar- in every U.S. market, the dam's been released. And there's just this flood of all that backed up water, all that pent up demand. So when you look at the increase in new listings or pending sales, that's a big impact. We're not just kind of getting back to normal. Um, we're dealing with the pent up demand uh, that's been uh, kind of sitting there behind the dam for the past two months. And I can illustrate that with some numbers here. Uh, So first, this is, uh, again, looking at some of my charts, this is looking at new listing volumes um, in Pennsylvania and Michigan. And you can see, you know, uh, Detroit, Grand Rapids, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, they were all down 70 to 80 percent for weeks and weeks at a time. Uh, But once those restrictions were lifted in Michigan, you see what happened to Detroit and Grand Rapids just shot up. That's the surge of all that pent up demand. All these folks that wanted to list their homes but couldn't are now able to get to the market. So there's this huge surge. Uh, at the time this graph was made, Philly and Pittsburgh, um, real estate was still non-essential in Pennsylvania. So they're still at the bottom. Uh, but the same thing, you can see it in the updated numbers. They they jolt right to the top. If we go international, we look at the UK. Um, so the light blue line here is new listings, new inventory. Uh, you can see once the UK shut down the housing market, that new listings were down 80 to 90 percent. Huge decline. But uh, once the government reopened the market, you see exactly what happens there. Same thing, there's this shot up, right? Because the dam, it's just been holding all that pent up demand, and now it can finally get to market. Um, and they're they're going up you know, quite quickly. And then lastly, if we go back to one of my earlier charts, looking at new listing volumes internationally, you see Italy here in the light gray line. Um, Italy was in lockdown for eight or nine weeks, new listing volumes plummeted by 70, 80% in the span of one week when restrictions were lifted, they surged right back up to normal levels, just in one week. So it, it shows like that, that pent up demand in these markets that are locked down hard, whether it's Italy, the UK, uh, Michigan or Pennsylvania, there's a big surge of new activity. Um, but that surge is just that, it's a surge, right? And if you think of a river being dammed up, that surge of water is temporary, right? That is not the new level there. So that's right now the dam has been lifted and there's a surge. That's where we are in the U.S. Uh, We don't know what the next month is going to give us, but I I think it'd be reasonable to expect we're not going to maintain those levels and there might be getting back to those new normal levels. So it's going to be super interesting to track that going forward, see what the numbers and the metrics look like over time. Now I want to talk about buy buyers. Every time I'm up on stage, I talk about about iBuyers. So I think it's worth talking about what this, um, what the pandemic kind of uh, is impacting the iBuyer marketplace and what's happening with these companies. So I think 2020 is going to be driven by a couple, three key themes for the iBuyer industry. First is surviving a pandemic. Um, This is a, you know, uh, the pandemic has has kind of threatened a lot of business models around the world, in the US, in real estate, and iBuyers are no exception. Uh, The second is the path to profitability. This is something I've chatted about for the past year. So it's still true. Uh, and the last is um, this key theme of further integration with the traditional industry. So I'll talk through each one of those briefly. Um, first, in terms of surviving the pandemic, yeah, this is what happens when you can't buy and sell houses. It turns out, you know, iBuyers stopped buying. Uh, you cannot be an iBuyer without buying houses. Uh, they've all started purchasing again, and they're, they're back active. The, the point, the key for them is relevancy. Right? The world has changed. The real estate market has changed. The iBuyers need to get back to the market and prove that their model is still relevant. They need to prove that it can work both from a health and safety standpoint, but also from a business model standpoint. So they have to get back to the market. And that's what we're seeing right now is, okay, what fees are people willing to pay in this environment? Um, how many houses can we actually buy? What's the risk we're willing to take? So that's what we're gonna be tracking going forward. Second is this path to profitability. Um, so, you know, the iBuying business model is unprofitable, right? I'm not talking on a unit economic basis or in certain markets. You know, if, if you strip out all your expenses, yeah, you can be profitable. But at a high level, um, is it a profitable business model? Uh, and, you know, it hasn't been. And that's this key question. Can we get there? So a couple things to note, you know, first off, uh, Zillow's flattened the curve in terms of their losses for their Zillow offers business. Um, you can see in Q1 2020, which was all pre-pre pandemic, except for the last two weeks of March, um, its net loss went down. It, it flattened the curve. Things are starting to improve. That's that's interesting. Um, and then also looking at Zillow, you can look at their um, net loss per home for their home segment, and it's continued to drop. Right as they scale up, they get the volumes. Things are getting more efficient. So they're they're losing less money. Um, so is that worth celebrating? It depends. Um, but if you want to get to efficiency and scale, like yeah, I think it is, it's it's worth note um, to, to see that things are improving over time. But the path to profitability for a lot of the iBuyers has not only re- revolved around kind of the core unit economics of buying and selling, but also attaching ancillary revenue streams like mortgage and title insurance. Um, if you think about 2019, you know, just last year, it seems like a hundred years ago, but um, in that year, both Zillow and Opendoor launched mortgage and title businesses, you know, so they're serious about it. They, they Door acquired um, OS National, you know, Zillow acquired a mortgage company and then rebranded that and launched that as Zillow Home Loan. So these aren't kind of miscellaneous things they're doing just to keep busy. Um, these are big initiatives and we're going to have to see what happens. So that path to profitability is totally dependent on mortgage and title, which is the battleground, I think, of the next 12 to 18 to 24 months here everybody's going after that, not just iBuyers. Not everybody can win. There's big incumbents in that space. So what's going to happen? The third theme is the traditional industry and iBuyers kind of continuing to integrate and come together. And, and what I mean by that simply is I think over time iBuyers will look more like traditional brokerages and the traditional industry will look more like iBuyers and and there's going to be this overlap of services. So, you know, chances are you're going to be able to go to your local agent or broker and they will give you some sort of instant sale option, whether it's something they're doing or facilitating on behalf of an iBuyer, right? They're going to be giving you all those options. You don't have to go to um, an iBuyer or a real estate agent. You can kind of go to either one and they'll give you that whole picture. And then same with iBuyers. I see them kind of tacking back to the traditional industry and saying, call us up. And we're gonna help you sell your home, buy your home, whatever it is, we're gonna help you. We're the one-stop shop for all of that. So lastly, there's so much change going on in the industry. It's happening so fast. I wanna talk about what it takes to move from just surviving to thriving. Um, Who's gonna win in this market? So I got three principles. The first is moving fast. The companies that can move the fastest are best positioned to win and, and thrive in this environment. As an example think about um you know virtual tours the thing everybody can't stop talking about over the past two months so in a in a pandemic uh and a lockdown where a week feels like a year time is really important so virtual tours there's companies out there that launched virtual tour solutions in march and there's some that launched them in may um what does it mean to move fast it means doing it in march so the companies that launch something in march you're moving really fast Second, invest. Invest if you can, right? Everybody's kind of pulling back and there's layoffs and marketing budgets are being cut. But the companies that are able to actually invest, whether that's hiring, spending more money on marketing, they're going to be able to accelerate out of this faster than everybody else. And the third point is meeting consumer demand. So consumer demand is changing. Whether they want virtual tours um, or online notarization, whatever it is, you got to meet consumer demand. Um, and the companies that do that better and faster are gonna win in this space. So tying all those together, you actually get kind of a nice sentence or an equation, right? Um, you're gonna thrive, companies and, and individuals and teams will thrive if they can invest and move fast to meet consumer demand. That's the key. The industry's moving fast now. Um, we gotta tie all this together. So I'll uh, I'll wrap up today by going back to where I started this quote, right, from January. The industry is moving very slowly, but it's never moved this fast. Um, still true today, but I want to amend it a little bit and say this: the industry is moving very fast right now. There's a lot of stuff changing. You know, now it is important to understand even more than ever what's happening, what the impact is, and figuring out what you can do to stay ahead of that curve. Thanks a lot. I'm Mike Dalpretti. We'll see you next time, Inman.